So as we're receiving the offering, we're going to watch a quick video of some testimonies from our Financial Peace University. This starts January 15th, so if you haven't registered for that, there's a kiosk in the back right of the auditorium where you can sign up and get more information. So after we watch this video, Van, our senior pastor, will be up to share the message. be honest and ask questions and not feel judged. <laughs> I think that was really helpful. There was no intimidation. Uh, just it was an easy role and people were having fun with it. I mean, we've been able to do things just in the year since we finished. We got a car. We got a car now. <laughs> like, but I mean, it was so good to be able to just pay cash for that car that we saved from November to July for. How we were able to really build um, and be vulnerable with people about kind of where we were at financially and how it was it was like a super accepting environment and um, you could trust that the people that were, were in the groups you know really knew God and uh, we're all kind of in the same boat so it was fun to have that before you come always um, in the back of your mind where you know I don't know, you just grow with each other. It, it felt it felt like family. It was good. Hey everyone, I'm Tim. And I'm Ellie. And we wanted to invite you to join us for Financial Peace University. Our next class is starting January 15th. It runs for nine weeks on Tuesday nights from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. All registration details are on the church website or through the app. Uh, cost per person or per household is $109. And we hope to see you there. Yeah, that is a wonderful course. It is, <clears throat> it is worth far more than $109. Just going through the course, people, at, at, just at the beginning of the course, picking up on the, the um, values and the principles, they end up saving a lot of money, paying off a lot of debt, e even during the course itself. Tim will be back at the uh, desk back here on my right. Uh, on, the, on your way out, you can stop there and register for the class, okay? Cool, so um, before we get into the message today, I, we're going to pray again for one of our staff members, family, and uh, Sarah Anderson, who is our children's pastor, Grant and Sarah, and uh, Sarah's parents, Jeff and Diana Steele, were on vacation with their family, with their three boys, uh, Alex, Ryan, Noah, and Ryan, uh, on a cruise in the Bermuda area. And Noah, who has had a, a congenital heart condition, had a heart attack while they were there. He's eight years old. I think he'll be nine in April. And of course, that was, um, Grant, Grant was with him when it happened. Jeff is an EMT. He was close by. And so they were able to give uh, Noah the, the care he needed immediately. And they uh, 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 life-flighted him to a hospital in Miami, the Nicholas Children's Hospital, and he's stable. Uh, he's stable. He, he was in an induced coma, but they've, they've wakened him up now, and he is stable. And they're making some decisions about how to treat his condition and what type of um, device he might need to, to guard his heart from this happening again. So we're going to pray for uh, Noah, and we're going to pray for their family. And I want to ask you to join me in doing that. Let's, let's stand up, okay? And reach out and grab someone's hand. And just, if you're afraid you're going to get sick, rebuke the germs. <laughs> and, uh, and if it's really a problem for you, then just carry some hand sanitizer around, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Father, uh, our hearts break for this family right now. We know that yours does too. 
And we ask right now, Father, for your presence to be just palpable in that hospital room. Let your presence be known there and healing, Father. We pray that uh, there would be healing over Noah's body and correct whatever caused this heart attack. Lord Jesus, for your glory and for your honor and because you're compassionate and you're merciful, we call out to you and speak healing over Noah. We pray for peace for him and just help in his heart in dealing with this and your peace for the whole family and your provision for them, Father, as, as they continue to work through this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, the, the Miami Vineyard is sending someone to the hospital to pray with them. They have a, a, a pastor of care there that will do that. And as well, there, uh, on Sarah's Facebook page, there is a GoFundMe uh, connection. So if you would like to help them financially right now, you could go, go to that and connect there, all right? All right, so my name's Van Cochran. I'm, I'm the senior pastor here, and since it's the beginning of the year, I get to preach today. So I'm excited about the message and about what God's doing in this church, what he has been doing, and, and what, what we're moving into as a church. Wilson shared at the beginning of the service that uh, the word for this year that we got from the Lord was fresh. And so fresh in a lot of different aspects, in a lot of different ways for us as a church body. But fresh can mean different things. It can mean new or it can mean renewed. It can mean that something got stale and now it needs to be freshened up. And that's not the case here. But there is a meaning for the word fresh that really fits where we're at. And that is this, moving beyond its current state. Okay, that's fresh. That's a dictionary definition. Moving beyond its current state. And so we've been in a good place. And we've been experiencing some fantastic things as a church body. But we believe that this year God's going to take us further. We're going we're to go deeper in. Deeper into relationship with him. We're going to experience more of his presence I mean, we experience his presence. We do in worship and in prayer, but we're gonna experience more of his presence. We're gonna experience more healing this year. And that's something that's been on our hearts, been on my heart for months, is, is just God, show us, you know, how do we break through this? So often we'll pray for people who are sick and they'll, they'll just have real peace come on their bodies. They'll just, they'll just experience God's presence and have peace and their pain's gone, mainly because they have peace. And, but, the, but the illness hasn't been totally healed. And we want to break through that and see the actual physical condition healed, more and more of that. We see a lot of it now, but we want to see more and more of that in, uh, in this year as we press into this. We want to see more people set free from things. People that are struggling with addiction, people that are, are struggling with depression or mental illness. And, and we want to see people set free from things that are, are binding up their lives. And we want to see more and more and more people actually come to faith in Jesus. Yes. And we want to see them come here. Not because we, you know, we think we're great or anything, or not, not, not because we get points for having more people here, but because when someone gets saved out on the street, if they just stay out on the street, they're going to have a hard time growing. They need to get into relationship with other believers. And what we do have here is a really good thing. 
And so we're, we're praying for more people to come to Jesus and to come into discipleship as part of the church body. We believe that all those things are things that God's holding out to us, kind of like as invitation to press into and, and, and to pray into. And so one of the things that um, God's been putting on my heart is this, the idea of fasting. And uh, in the past, I've fasted uh, a lot, and there have been seasons where I've fasted weekly, where I've fasted monthly, where I've gone on extended fasts. But I believe God's going to be calling us to do more fasting this year, not because fasting earns us anything with God. It doesn't. It's not like God says, oh, you fasted two days. Wow, I'm going to give you two days worth of blessings because you fasted two days. And maybe here's another half day of blessing just, you know, to, just as a reward. That's not the way fasting works. And I know people talk about fasting, and see, someone will say, well, I'm going to fast from television. Well, I'm going to fast from, um, uh, you know, from, um, from what? Chocolate. or what? Well, chocolate is food, okay? But a, a lot of different things people will say they're going to fast from that are, are not related to food. And really, fasting means not eating. That's what the word means, okay? It doesn't mean stopping something that you like to do. It's a good thing. If you want to quit watching TV to pursue God, great thing. And even if you want to call that fasting for TV, that's fine with me too. But really, fasting has to do with food. And it's significant because food is such an important part of life. I mean, you die if you don't eat, don't you? You, you, you need to eat to live, and beyond that, how many of us gain some of our greatest enjoyment in life out of eating? Huh? Pizza, spaghetti, I mean, on and on the list can go. And, yeah. Like, I want to know, what are we having for dinner Wednesday night? And my poor wife gets frustrated with me for that. She's, yeah, so. But we look forward to food. It's delightful, it's wonderful, it's just this incredible gift God's given us that's essential to life. And so when I take that and I set that aside, I gain something because I'm saying to God, God, you are like food to me. You are life itself. You are even more important than food to me. And I'm gonna set this food aside for now just so I can seek you. It does something in my heart when I do that. And it, 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 it lights up things in places in my heart that need to be lit up. And, and so we're going to be, we'll be talking more about that. We'll probably have some days that we call the whole church to fast as, as you're able to participate. And we always get caveats for people that have, um, you know, serious health issues and things like that. But um, th- that'll be part of this. I'm, I'm just pressing in to the invitation God's giving us to move into a new level of what he wants to do and what he has been doing and just cranking it up, cranking it up higher and, and to, to new levels. So um, we are, um, we're, we're looking at some wonderful things coming and so, some new things that God's doing. And actually, my mind went to a couple of key Bible verses when I thought about this. Uh, one of them's in Isaiah 42, 9 through 10. And really, I, I quote these because they show us God's heart for his people. And in this context, he's speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And God says this. He says, behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Just stop right there. First, he says, what I've already told you about has happened. That's come to pass, okay? Good, that's good stuff, isn't it? Well, I'm telling you there's more to come. That's what he's saying here. There's new stuff coming. 
There's fresh stuff coming. And then he says, they're going to spring forth. That idea of springing forth means suddenness. You know, it's like, like you plant a garden and you go out two days later and the, 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 the plants are, are two inches high already. And you say, wow, when did that happen? They sprang out of the ground. It seems like, doesn't it? So it, it seems sudden when God works. And then it goes on to this, and this is really our response to the whole thing. He says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. And so in the heart of God's children, when we hear this, God's doing something new. He's telling us about it. He's offering it to us. He's asking us to walk into it. That lights our hearts up. That should light my heart up and cause me to sing to him and sing in a new way, in a fresh way, worshiping and praising him. And you know, there's something about this whole idea of music that is so central and crucial to, uh, to worship. In heaven, they're singing. They're singing. Constantly, there's worship through singing in heaven. And, and so when we sing here, we're joining in with something that's happening in heaven and something we'll do when we get to heaven. I don't think that's all that happens in heaven, but that's one of the main things is singing and worshiping God. But in every move of God down through history, the fresh move of God always produces fresh worship music. And that's been true for hundreds of years. And it's been true in the last few decades. Uh, God's been moving so powerfully and, and knowledge increases so quickly today and communication is so rapid that there's just one fresh move after, after another and, and there's always fresh worship that comes with that. And that's one of the reasons that here we try to stay on the edge of what's happening worship-wise because this fresh move of God that's happening around our nation and around the world is producing new worship music. And we want, we want to stay right there on that cutting edge of what God's doing and be singing this new song with him. And so the, the next verse I want to refer you to is Isaiah 43, 19. And it's very similar, but it, it adds a nuance. And he says, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Again, the idea of it springing suddenly out. He says, will you not be aware of it? Okay, the heart of the, the, heart of the believer the sensitive heart of the believer sees when God's doing this. And, and we hear him say it and, and we, we, we uh, tie into it, we're aware of it. And he says, I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Okay, first of all, rivers in the desert, it's pretty clear, pretty clear uh, word picture. Desert, no water, no plant life, nothing. You, you put a river in the desert and suddenly it comes to life, all right? But then... This other phrase that came first, a roadway in the wilderness. Why do you need a roadway in the wilderness? Wilderness, it's wilderness. People don't go there unless there's life there. And so there's this springing forth of life in the desert, in the wilderness, and God's building roadways right into it. And this idea of roadway is ways for people to come into the blessing of God. Ways for people to come into God's kingdom. And this is something God's doing here in this church, not just in our church, and other churches do, but, but he is doing it here. And uh, this idea of a roadway reminded me of a dream that I had the year we started this church, which was 2001. And um, we were um, just started with a handful of people, uh, six people the very first time we ever met. 
And yet God gave me this dream, and in the dream, I was in my hometown where I used to go, to, where I used to walk to school, and I was walking towards my high school, and I always had to cross a, a bridge that went over this little ravine, and um, it was kind of a scary bridge because it was up pretty high, but in the dream, the bridge had crumbled apart, and the, the sides were gone, and big chunks of the bridge were gone. And so I'm walking very carefully across this bridge and I get, get across it and I'm, I'm gonna jump ahead in the dream now. And, and I'm, I'm up near the high school and I see something. I see that the ravine that, that was right beside the high school, the high school let's say is here, this ravine comes down like this. I crossed it here and then I'm walking up the hill to the high school and up here parallel to the high school there is a new highway being built, a bridge, four lane bridge coming across. And believe me, the town I grew up in was about a 1,000 people. We had no need for a four-lane bridge anywhere. But in the dream, there's this four-lane bridge coming across. And then suddenly, I was transported from where I was in the dream into the high school in a room that was packed with people. And it was well lit. And they were all singing old Beatles songs. (laughs) You know, the Beatles songs, the happy ones, like She Loves Me and stuff like that before they got into all the more serious stuff. And, um, and, and that dream impacted me powerfully because it spoke to me and it said, yeah, there's something old you're leaving behind, but there's something new coming that's gonna be powerful and really, really good. And I think we've experienced that here over the course of the last uh, 18 years since this church started, that there, there is that new way. There is that new bridge. And I think God's adding lanes to the bridge now. And that's what he's doing. He's improving that bridge. He's making it more solid, more stable, and adding lanes to it so more people can come. And so we're headed into a new era, a fresh era as a church. And that, that calls, calls out things in us as a church body. And as I said, fasting, I think, will be part of that. But with every fresh work of God, there always comes a new level of dependence on God, because we have to walk into this fresh work. It takes a new level of willingness to risk. It takes a new, new level of commitment of saying, okay, this is interfering with, with what God's doing here, so I'm, I'm just gonna brush that aside. It takes a new level of commitment of heart and life. And it takes a new level of us experiencing God's presence and power. And his presence is always the key to, to the, the church body doing what God's called it to do. It's, it's not us being clever. It's not us coming up with new ideas or new programs or this big new thing that will, that will do it. It's God's presence because it's with his presence comes his power. With his presence comes healing. With his presence comes freedom for people. And as, as we press into this, we need more of God's presence. In, in the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible written before Jesus came, um, there was a time when God's people, the Hebrews, were enslaved in Egypt. And God raised up a man named Moses to free them from Egypt. And he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. You've probably heard of the burning bush experience. And then God used him to confront the ruler of Egypt so that he finally allowed the Hebrews to leave. And so now they're out in the desert and they are seeking what's gonna happen next, and God's speaking to Moses. And God says to Moses, okay, Moses, here's, what, here's the next step, here's the next thing that's gonna happen. 
And he says, and by the way, Moses, I'm going to send a powerful angel with you to make sure this all happens. Now, how many of us, if God spoke to us and said, I'm going to send a powerful angel to spend the rest of his life, the rest of your life, he's going to be with you, and everything that I've called you to do, you're going to be able to do because that angel is with you. Would you like that? Would that be good news? Sounds like that'd be pretty good news, doesn't it? Bad news to Moses. Do you know why? Because Moses had experienced God's presence. He, he had been in the, in the presence of the living God. And he knew the power and the life that came from the presence of the living God. And so Moses said, Moses is almost kind of like shocked by that. And he said, what? I mean, you're not going with us? Listen, Moses said to God, if you don't go with us, then I don't want to go. That's pretty bold, isn't it, to tell God, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. But that's exactly what Moses did. And I think that's exactly what God was, was wanting for Moses to do because God says, okay, I'll go with you. I'll, my presence will be with you because it's his presence that enables us to move ahead. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not even an angel, although angels are wonderful and Father send more angels here to minister to people. We are thankful for them. But God's presence is what we need. And so Moses uh, recognized that. And, and it's God's presence, every new thing that happens. When God wanted to redeem humanity, what did he do? He actually came. His son was born into humanity. Jesus came and became a human being. Deity united with humanity. So Jesus never gave up his deity. He was fully God, but he became fully human as well. That's why the virgin birth, it had to be some, a different way to be born because if he had been born simply by human procreation, it would have just been another fallen person born. But when we say that, we don't mean that Jesus was half man and half God. If that was the case, then he would be a third type of being that was neither man nor God. What we mean is that he was fully God and fully man without mixing the two. Now, that's such a, such a mind-bending thought that theologians somehow came up with this name for it, the hypostatic union. And basically what that's saying is, we don't know. <laughs> we don't understand. All we know is that this is what the Bible says. And so Jesus came as the perfect human being. He lived as a human being for the first 30 years, just like anybody growing up, having friends, playing when he was a little kid, taking up a, 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 um, a profession when he was old enough to do that, became a carpenter. And, and he was perfect in everything he did. He never sinned. And, and so he was, he was uh, uh, the, the, the son that, was, that God intended sons to be when he created us. And so he was, he was a son and a firstborn son, which means he had responsibilities for the rest of the household that others didn't. And the fact that during Jesus' public ministry, Joseph is never mentioned once indicates, and, and most biblical scholars would agree with this, that sometimes, sometime prior to Jesus becoming, coming into his public ministry, Joseph had died. And so that would have meant that Jesus became the head of that family, and he was the one responsible for the home. And, and so Jesus lived this life of sinlessness, 
And then as, as he did that, he did that when, when he came into his public ministry, he was baptized, and what happened was the Holy Spirit came on him. And so Jesus then goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and when he came back out of the wilderness being tempted by the devil, the Bible says he came back filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. You see, he was deity, he was God himself, but he chose not to exercise that, that, those attributes of deity. He chose to live as a human being, just like you and I live. And he chose to operate under the same power that is available to us today, which is the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of the living God. And so Jesus, as he does this, he said, I can do nothing of my own. I, I don't do anything of my own. I, can only, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so he emphasized that multiple times, that he says what the Father gives him and he does what the Father tells him to do. And so he's providing a model for us on how we are to live by doing that. That's why we're called Christians. You know, the word Christian um, is not a name Jesus gave us. It was given to Christians by unbelievers because they had heard about Jesus and they saw these Christians and said, well, you look like Jesus. Christian means little Christ. And so he lived and then he left this planet putting his presence, his spirit into us so that we could live like him. And when a person accepts Jesus, their fallen nature is replaced with a new nature. That's called being born again. And then, just like Jesus yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit, this person with a new nature is able, because the Holy Spirit gave them a new heart, is able to have the Holy Spirit live inside them. And the Holy Spirit, just as he empowered Jesus, he empowers us. And in the same way, we can do nothing on our own. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And that's what Jesus said the night before he died. He said, uh, you can do nothing without me. Right. Nothing. It means you cannot be a good father without Jesus. You cannot be a good husband without Jesus. You can't be a good employee without Jesus, a good friend without Jesus. You need Jesus in you. And the, Jesus comes into you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said, um, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. And so it was the Holy Spirit is how Jesus came to us. It's the way he comes to us is through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God. He can, he can be present in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit and he comes in and he changes us and he empowers us just as Jesus was empowered by him. Now after the resurrection, Jesus um, came to his apostles and he said this, he said, he said, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, something happened at that moment. That wasn't just theoretical, it was real. <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into them at that moment. And, and something happened that gave them new authority. You know, when you become a child of God and you're born again, you get that new nature, you have the authority of, of sons and daughters of God. We, become, we have authority to walk as sons and daughters of God and to live that way. And so Jesus breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. But then he also told them, now wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you so, you're, so you are endued with power. 
And when that happens, then you can go out into the world and be witnesses for me. You can proclaim my truth and you can extend my kingdom. And so Jesus tells them these two things. One, receive the Holy Spirit. The other, wait for the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, boom, there's going to be power in your life. So there's a sense in which you could say this. The Holy Spirit comes into us for us. He comes into us to give us new hearts, to give us a new nature, to put his fruit in our lives and enable us to correct all those wacky thoughts and belief systems we have so that we can be actually begin to live out this new nature, this new heart he's given us. The Holy Spirit comes in us for us to give us Christ-like character and to make us like Jesus. And he comes upon us for others to empower us for ministry. And that's what he, was, that's what he told them to wait for in, uh, in, in this uh, word that he gave them in Acts. Now, to give some context, Old Testament context, for what, what would it be like when God's presence fills the place? What happens when God's presence fills a place? And in the Old Testament, in, second, in 1 Kings 8, 10 through 11, King Solomon had built a temple for God. When they came out, of, came out of Egypt, God gave them instructions on how to build a house of worship. And that house of worship was made out of tent material, so it was something they could, they could pick up and they could move to a new location. But it had an open area for people to come in and worship, then it had a holy place, and then it had an inner place called the Holy of Holies. And in that most innerward place was where God's presence dwelled. And at that point, God's presence was limited uh, to being revealed. He, he was everywhere, but he was being revealed in the tabernacle. Now, the very same presence that Moses encountered at the burning bush, very same presence, that pillar of fire that led the Jews as they traveled through the desert, that was the presence of God, and it, was, it existed in this holy of holies as fire, it was like if, if you could go in there and see it, it would be like this effervescent glowing thing that d vibrated with power and life and it looked like fire. And that's why they call it the, some people call it the glory fire of God. Others um, use this term, Shekinah. It's a Hebrew word that just means the glory of God, the glory of the presence of God is glory, glory presence. And so that existed in that inner place. Now when they came into the nation, when they came into Palestine, eventually Solomon got permission from God to build an actual temple. And so he built this beautiful temple. It had the outer court. It had the inner place where the priests went to offer sacrifices. And then it also had the Holy of Holies, which was a place where the presence of God actually dwelt in this glowing, effervescent fire, presence of God. And so what happened when they dedicated the temple is what we read here in 1 Kings 8, 10 through 11. Let's read that. I don't think it's going to come up on the screen even. Okay, it happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So there was this cloud also. There's just this presence of a cloud that came over the whole thing. The cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because, the, because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So the glory of the Lord is this fiery presence of God. And this cloud is kind of like an extension of this fiery presence of God. And that harkens back to Moses on the mountain. 
And when, Moses, when, when they brought them Hebrews out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and Moses is getting his instructions from God, there was this fiery presence up on the mountain. And if you stood back, you could see fire on top of the mountain and then a thick cloud surrounding the mountain. And actually what, what, what happened was the people were terrified by that. And they said to Moses, they said, look, you speak to us, you go hear from God, and then you come down and speak to us, because if God speaks directly to us, we're all going to die. And so there was something, something so big about this thing that it frightened all the people. And so as they are all drawing away, God says to Moses, come up onto the mountain. And so they're afraid of the cloud, but Moses just walks right into it. He just walks right into it and goes right up into the presence of God. And so all of this is background for what happens in Acts chapter 2. Because what we read there in Acts 2, they've waited now, okay? And it says, suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire that glory fire of God, which had been in the temple in the Holy of Holies, tongues of fire came down and appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So these tongues of fire come down and actually go into them. That's the glory, the presence of God. The Holy Spirit comes into them, which is the glory of God, the presence of God. This fire of God comes into them in the form of the Holy Spirit, and they are changed. They are empowered now to go out and to perform all the ministry that, uh, that God has for them and to fulfill his purpose for them. Now, these are wonderful things, and we've seen times where people, where we've had the presence of God come into this room in such a powerful way. Sometimes there are manifestations, things that happen. There's gold dust. People will see gold dust on their hands. In fact, when we had Robbie Dawkins here, a couple of ladies came up to me afterwards, and you could see it on their hands. It wasn't anything they had put there. It was just God's manifestation of his presence. But there are other things that happen. And um, with the priests that we read about, they couldn't stand up. They could, in the presence of God, their, their bodies gave out because our bodies are not physically yet ready to be in the presence of God. And, and our bodies will be fully redeemed one day and then we'll be in God's presence. But this wasn't a one-time thing, this filling. Later in the book of Acts, Peter is filled again. And Paul has multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit. And the whole group at one point are praying and the house shakes and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and spoke the word of God with boldness. So this filling is meant to be a repeated thing. And, but here's a question I have. We've prayed for people, I've prayed for people, uh, many of you have too, where we've seen the Holy Spirit come on them in a powerful way. And, and, the, and the person can't stand or they shake or just, they're just experiencing God's presence in a powerful, powerful way. And many times they walk away and their life is changed. But there are other times that it doesn't seem like the person's life changes even though they've encountered the presence of God in a powerful way, which is intended to change us. And I, and I asked the question, why? And, and I think an illustration came to me this week that it's like baking a cake, that there are certain ingredients you need to bake a cake. And if you leave half the ingredients out and you mix them up and you put it in the oven, the heat is like the presence of God. You don't get a cake. 
if they aren't mixed at all, if you just throw the eggs and everything into a pan, you don't mix them, stick it into the oven, you don't get a cake. But when the ingredients are all put together in the right way, and they're mixed together, and you put it in the oven and the heat comes, there's a result that happens that is beautiful and delicious. A cake is, is made. And there are characteristics in our lives, kind of like ingredients in our lives that have to be there for us to benefit from being in God's presence, for us to break free from some of the things that, that bind us up and that, that will enable us to benefit from God touching us in a deep way. And I'm just going to give you five very quickly here. But one of them is this, humility. This humility of heart. Jesus said that if, uh, in Luke 18, 17, he said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we have to have childlike hearts. And what's a childlike heart like? You can, uh, you can, we, can, we can point these things out. They ask a lot of questions. They're curious, aren't they, kids? Children, very curious. They have innocent motives. Some of them don't, but most of them do. Yeah. There's no guile there. Do you know why? Like, that's why you can stare into a baby's eyes. You can just stare into their eyes. They're not judging you. They're, they're, they just, they, they have no, they have, they're, they're innocent hearted. And they just look at you with delight. And so that's part of humility, is having an innocent heart like that, no guile. Um, and they're very immediate in the moment. What's happening right now? So they're not off in some lofty thought pattern somewhere else or, or all tied up with the past. They respond to love. And so they're very relational. And I'm gonna say this, love trumps intellect with them. I'm gonna call that wisdom. Because love trumps intellect. What, hear me on this. When that kid knows you love them and they love you, they're going to believe you. They're, they're not going to say, oh, is it a bad thing to touch that hot stove? Well, explain to me why. How hot does it have to be before it's going to burn? How bad is my flesh going to be burned? And are you trying to trick me? Are you trying to hold something back from me by not letting me touch the hot? I mean, they, they, they're going to believe you because you love them. And so we want to have hearts like that in our relationship with God. For, that, for us, I think that means we have to say, I don't know. We have to say that a lot. We have to say, I don't know everything. We have to, we have to be teachable. We have to allow God to speak to us through anybody he chooses, whether somebody that you hold in high esteem or not. We have to be willing that even in areas of certainty, things like the deity of Christ I know that's true, but I can say, stand here and say I have not plumbed the depths of that truth. I don't know it fully. So we have to have humble hearts, humble hearts towards others and towards God. Second thing, we have, a, have to have a passion to know God and to, uh, to see more of God. Moses walked right into the cloud. Later, Moses says to God, show me your glory. He wanted to see more of God even than he'd already seen. That was his heart, his, the longing of his heart was to see and to know God. And that has to be the longing of my heart no matter what it takes, even if it kills me. Even if walking into that cloud kills me, if I'm gonna get to know God by doing that, I'm gonna do it. And, and to have that type of passion to know him is a key, key part of us receiving what he has for us, to know him, to experience him, to know his life. 
hunger for truth. You, we do have to have some truth. We have to have truth because uh, if, I, if I don't know who God is, then experiencing his, his presence uh, is, going to, is going to either impact me or not. Uh, for the Jewish people, they didn't really know who God was, so they were afraid of him. For Moses, he understood who God was, and so he, he ran right into his arms. So we have to know who God is. If I have this notion that God is some weird thing like a three-headed lemur or something like that, which some people in the world believe, then when God's presence comes, I'm gonna walk away with some twisted thought and it's not gonna change me. So having some, uh, some, some hunger for truth and reading the Bible and knowing the Bible. Fourth thing is this connection with other believers, other people that have uh, the ability to know us and to know us well. Other people that know us, that, that know us well enough that when we say hello to them, they can say what's wrong. Something's up, I can tell something's up. And we need to have relationships like that where we're not hiding. And, and that, that's, that's a part of having a heart that's receptive to God. And then the fifth thing is this. Uh, we've gotta have a desire for God's destiny for our lives. I've got to be sold out to find God's destiny for my life and I'm going to pursue it and I'm going to become part of advancing his kingdom no matter what. And I think this might be one of the most important ones along with humility. But people can desire to know God because their life's a mess. And I need someone to fix my life. God, Jesus, come into my life. And actually God's so gracious that he'll, he'll come into our lives on that basis. You know, pretty self-centered but he'll come into our lives on that basis but he doesn't want to leave us there. Because here's, here's something, listen to this. Children get their needs met. Sons and daughters walk in their inheritance and destiny. Okay, if all I ever think about is am I getting, am I getting my needs met, then I'm, I'm living like a child spiritually. But when I understand that there's an inheritance I have through Christ and there's a destiny God has for my life and I'm gonna press into that no matter what the cost, then that's, that's how we mature. And when we have hard attitudes like this, it enables us then to receive from God what we need, what we need to grow and to, to, to press ahead into the destiny that he has for us. So we're gonna move into a short ministry time here to end our service. And I, I just wanna ask, as, as we move into this, um, yeah, let's just close our eyes, okay? Just close your eyes and... Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. We, we welcome your presence here. Come. Speak to us, Lord. If it's humility we need, then just confess that to him right now. Just tell him that. And see, children, just, they just do what they want to do. They're free. Give us childlike faith, Lord. Lord, if it's destiny and I'm afraid, I'm afraid of what God is gonna call me to or I'm afraid of what will happen in my life if I serve him, just tell him, Lord, I, I, not only do I wanna know you no matter what the cost, but I wanna serve and I wanna be part of your work in the world. I wanna move into the destiny you have for me no matter what the cost. Just tell him that. Let's all stand up.
I think this is a day that some of us can take a big step ahead into spiritual growth and maturity to, to move into the realm of walking in my inheritance and living out my destiny. And so I just, I, I want to ask you to open your heart to that and to say, God, if that's for me, I receive it. I'm gonna walk in it right now. I wanna walk in this, Lord. We have prayer teams that will be here at the front. So the prayer teams, please come down right now. Just don't hesitate, just come down right now. They're, pray, they're trained to pray for you. We're not counselors. We don't have to hear your whole life story. Um, we, have, we, have, we, we have ministries and groups for that, so you get into a relationship with people in a house group and you can have someone then. But here, what we wanna know is basically what are you asking God for and we're gonna pray for you to get it right now. We pray for an immediate impact, an immediate effect of the Holy Spirit in your life, whether it's healing or something else that you need in your life. So I um, invite you to come down as we close the service. Father, we're thankful for this new year. We're thankful for this idea of fresh. We know that your mercies are fresh. They're new every morning. We don't have to live on yesterday's, yesterday's stale bread, but we can live with you fresh every day. I pray that for this church body, Father. Help us as a unit, as a body, to have a heart that's gonna press into more of what you have for us and delight to see you glorified through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for coming, and um, it's great to see you here. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Oh, by the way, next week, we're gonna have Dan Smoker share his story. Dan fell last March, mountain climbing, fell close to 30 feet onto solid rock, and um, miracle that he's alive and he's back at work here. He's our building superintendent, so he's gonna share his story next week. <laughs>